In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about a Mitsubishi, Catholic shouting, a Mitsubishi, indulging in tiny sandwiches and magic pie, a Mitsubishi, double dipping with your double-edged spoon, and a Mitsubishi in our discussion of The Dream Thieves, book two of The Raven Cycle by Maggie Stiefvater. <laughs> 82 Mitsubishis. Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss The Dream Thieves by Maggie Stiefvater. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen now. I felt like I was being really slow at first, and I thought, no, that's not right. That's not right. We don't do that slowly. So then, just, if we're not at times two speed, are we really living? No, 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 we're not. Can you hear us if we're not that no. fast? I would also add to the standard disclaimer: if you haven't read book one, go back, read that, listen to that, or go and listen to our episode. Yes, for sure, for sure, do that because if you don't, you're probably not gonna know what the fuck we're talking about. It's rather confusing without. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, I've got a feeling, because a lot happens in this book, the summary might take us a little it while. Is. Time to go. Yes, yes. It's... So while you give us the background information, okay. people can get a, a nice beverage, yes. some snacks. Yes, they can get ready, because this is another long summary. And again, it's jumpy around all over the place. Just mm-hmm. like book one was, because it's multiple points of view and a whole lot of crazy shit happens in this one. So it's just reflective of the book because it's a summary. I know a detailed and accurate spoiler-filled summary that you can use to cheat on your home life. <laughs> okay, so I read an article on Entertainment Weekly about. Maggie Steve Fodder writing a blog post um, that talks about a black-hearted character. And so the interview is asking about that and how it's tricky to write a character with no redeeming qualities whatsoever. And hopefully you'll figure out which character we're talking about in this one. <laughs> Oh, but oh, I love him still. It doesn't matter. He's the worst. <laughs> anyway, okay. <laughs> well, you just give him that away. Well, it's not Ronan. It's not, I'm not talking about Ronan. Everyone already knows that I love Ronan. Anyway, the article. Maggie says, It's interesting because this book took me longer to write than any of my others. It took me 14 months to actually draft this because it was very painstaking. I had a very clear idea in my head of what I wanted it to be, so I lived with this black-hearted character for 14 months. I had such a blast writing him, but it was really different experience than any other character I've ever done. I do so enjoy writing the bad boy with the heart of gold. Oh, oh, Ronan, but that's not who we're talking about. 
or the angry girl with the heart of gold. However, I do still think there are certain redeeming qualities. That's all I'll say. I've got so much in my head and in my heart about this book because I know that I've already talked about how the Ronin boy, or the Ronin boys, see, that's how obsessed I am. The Raven mm-hmm. boys, <laughs> the Raven cycle is one of my favorite series of all times ever. And this one is my favorite of the quartet. So it's just, I've got, I've got a lot inside of me about this one. Right, well, let's just, crack that yes. open after the summary. So let's just dial yes. straight yes. in. Away. Let's just go straight Sorry, in. Sorry, everyone. This episode is 34 hours long. <laughs> Edited. <laughs> Edited 34, yes. I, I cut it down as much as I could. <laughs> Neil Lynch told everyone that when Ronan Lynch was born, blood fell from the sky. But his mother, Aurora, said it was flower petals. When Declan, Ronan's older brother, was born, his father had no idea what happened because he wasn't there. Neil was an eccentric man with a lot of money, but no real reason to have it. One night, years before Neil's death, Ronan sees his father in bed, covered in blood and flowers. But Neil says not to worry because the blood isn't his, and suddenly, Ronan knows. He knows where the money comes from and where the blood and petals came from. His father's dreams. And he, Ronan, is the same. A dreamer. (laughs) Now, Ronan Blue, Adam, Noah and Gansey are climbing up to the top of a hill to launch a tiny plane that Ronan pulled from his dreams. He recently told his friends that he pulled Chainsaw, his raven, from his dreams, and now he's proving it to them. They launch the little plane and Ronan controls it with a little matching remote, flying it around above them. It's amazing. How cool would that be? Oh my gosh. (laughs) A man dressed all in shades of grey, henceforth called the Grey Man, goes to see Declan, Ronan's jerk of an older brother, to ask him where the Grey Warren is. Despite the room-crashing fight and the gun pointed at kidneys, Declan doesn't know. After the gray man leaves, Declan first tries to call his younger brother, Matthew, whom he shares a dorm room with. Matthew's phone is sitting on his bed. Then Declan calls Ronan, but he doesn't answer. What's the point in having a phone if you don't have it with you or don't answer it? There's no point. I mean, to be fair, I don't There's answer There's no either, point, but, yeah. but you can't make Ronan do anything. And Matthew's just mm. delightful and oblivious. He's a little cinnamon roll. Yes, he's precious. <laughs> After the dream plane flying, the Raven Boys plus Blue are driving down the interstate back toward Henrietta. Gansey talking on the phone to his old British friend, Roger Mallory. They're talking about the ley lines, of course, and how they would react underwater. Then a white Mitsubishi Evo with knives painted on the side pulls up next to Gansey's Camaro, itching for a race. The driver, Joseph Kavinsky, taunts them from behind white sunglasses, especially Ronan. But Gansey won't play, so Kavinsky speeds off. The grey man arrives at his bed and breakfast in Henrietta and politely shares a beer with the owners before getting a phone call from his boss, a man named Greenmantle. Greenmantle has hired the grey man to find the grey warren, a mysterious device used to pull items from dreams. 
The gray man thinks it's in Henrietta, but several people have been looking for it for several years and are still looking for it right now to no avail. Ronan wakes in the middle of the night from a dream where he was returning to the barns, his family home. Neil's will forbids the Lynch brothers from returning to their home in order to earn their inheritance, even though their mother is still there, comatose. Ronan remembers when he and Gansey first became friends and began looking for Glendower and the Lear lines, so he goes to talk to Gansey. Gansey asks Ronan what it feels like to pull items from his dreams. He says it feels like a handshake when you don't know until just a few seconds before if the other hand is going to be sweaty or not. It's my favourite and it's so gross. It's a gross <laughs> it's... but perfect analogy. <laughs> you totally understand that description. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, nothing worse than a sweaty handshake. Mm, no. No. They discuss a puzzle box that he recently brought out that translate languages, mostly dead ones, plus one unknown, and how his dreams are always in Latin. Blue goes to work at Nino's, and the Raven Boys are there too. She puzzles over the puzzle box and has an awkward interaction with Adam, who, now that he's the eyes and hands of the ley line, Blue feels she's not good enough for anymore. They try to figure out what the unknown language is, and Blue says that Ronan knows, even if he doesn't know, and his snarky remark leads Gansey to call him out. This is another awkward interaction, but Blue stands up for herself and then leaves to seat a person that just entered the restaurant, Joseph Kavinsky. He strides oozily over to the Raven Boy's table and gives Ronan a pile of leather bracelets just like the ones he wears every single day. Then he rubs Ronan's head and leaves. Ew. He is oozy. There He's is... oozy and greasy and mm. secondhand car salesman vibes yeah. coming out the wazoo. Mm-hmm. Unlike the Greer man, who is continuing his search for the Greer Warren, stopping for lunch at a little sandwich shop, the power goes out while he's there and the waitress tells him that's been happening for a few months now. On the road again, his EMF reader pulls him into a rose bush by a well. The reader goes bonkers by the well, but then returns to normal. Adam gets home from work to his new tiny place above the church rectory and finds Blue waiting on him. He holds Blue for a minute, and then, when he tries to kiss her, she pulls away violently. After a cold shower, in which he sees leaves coming from the faucet and someone else looking back at him from the bathroom mirror, he leaves the bathroom to find that Blue is still there. Then he finds what he knows to be a bill from Aglenby, and as he's about to open it, the nun from the church comes by to let him know that his rent payment is changing by $200 a month. This immediately fills him with dread, but then... He realizes that she said his rent would be $200 less each month, not more. He'll have $2,400 extra a year in his pocket. Then he opens the bill from Aglenby, stating his tuition for the next year will be going up by exactly $2,400. Hmm. He gets overcome with anger at Gansey, who he's sure is responsible for his rent change. Blue asks if he's okay, and then he gets mad at her, too. So she leaves. He's an angry boy. He is, bless him. And, you know, all of that rage from taking beatings from his father, it's tough. It's tough. It is. It's tough on him. 
Gansey, Ronan and Noah are at a nearby dollar store waiting for Blue and Adam to finish work. Gansey gets a call from Adam, who is pissed about the wrench change and whatever Gansey did to make it happen. However, Gansey has no idea what he's talking about. Gansey wasn't responsible for Adam's rent going down. Ronan was. But only Ronan knows that. As Gansey continues to argue with Adam, Noah suddenly flickers out of existence, then grabs onto Ronan, chillingly stealing the energy he needs to return to his non-ghostly form. Noah says something is wrong with the ley line just as Adam tells Gansey that he saw a woman looking back at him from his bathroom mirror. Yeah, something is going on. Something is happening. And it is creepy, kind of. Yeah, always take notes of where your face is in the mirror. Yeah. Later, Gansey's talking to Adam about going to a party at his mother's. She's running for Congress, and Gansey thinks there might be an internship in it for Adam. Adam then starts talking about Blue and how she doesn't seem to want to kiss him. Gansey knows this about Blue, about how she's been told her entire life that she's going to kill her true love with a kiss, but apparently she didn't tell Adam. Gansey pretends not to know anything and suggests that Adam just ask Blue about it. No, they can't do that. That's no, actual communication. don't have conversations. What are you talking about? No, that's not right. No. That night, Ronan has a dream in Cabe's water. A tiny girl he calls Orphan Girl is there, and wherever she is, it's easier for him to pull things out when he wakes. This time, he pulls out Kravinsky's white sunglasses. Meanwhile, the grey man is dreaming about a violent, stabbing murder. Adam doesn't dream, but thinks about being worthless. Mm. Which which dream do we pick here? Which situation? <sighs> Violent stabbing I'm, murder? I'm going to go for the grey man, personally. <laughs> I, those, the, the white sunglasses are unforgivable. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, I'm going to go for the grey man's violent stabbing. <laughs> Would you rather? Hmm. <laughs> Is that one of our questions? <laughs> Later, Ronan goes to church and takes Noah with him. He sees Declan's destroyed face and learns that he was burgled, though he doesn't believe that at all. Before they can argue much, Matthew, their youngest brother, who doesn't really look or act like either of them at all, tells them to be holy. (laughs) I love Matthew. He's so precious. After church... Declan tells Ronan not to hang out with Kavinsky, which is exactly what he and Noah do when they leave church. Ronan mm. drives by Kavinsky's neighborhood with the idea to put the dreamed sunglasses in his mailbox, but Kavinsky drives up next to him at a stoplight instead. Ronan throws the glasses to Kavinsky, who, as an excellent forger of all things, very important TM, not just the typical fake IDs and leather bracelets, scrutinizes them. He's glad that Ronan seems to understand his game. Does he, though? Does he get it? Not yet. Shrug. Shrug. At 300 Foxway, Blue, Gansey and Adam are waiting for Ronan. They have plans to go to Cabe's water. Blue's various relatives in the house don't think this is a good idea, but don't say anything about it. Adam goes to look at tarot cards, and while it's just Gansey and Blue in the room, he asks her if she's told Adam about the no-kissing thing. She hasn't, and tells Gansey he's not her grandmother and shouldn't be giving advice. 
<laughs> Which makes him laugh heartily. <laughs> as he clutches his pearls. <gasps> oh! Blue's stomach twists and she tells herself that she should not be having feelings for Gansey and reminds herself about Adam. Oh, Blue. Oh, Blue. The Grey Man comes by 300 Fox Way for research purposes. But when he realizes how powerful the psychics there are and that they don't take any shit, he reveals to them that he is a hitman. Ah. <laughs> oh, that explains the violent stabbing dreams. You know what? <laughs> hmm. Everyone looks to Mara <laughs> to decide how to react, and she's perfectly fine with it. And maybe a little smitten by the handsome man dressed all in grey. A guy's got to make a living, you know? Yeah. He... He, he pay, does he pay his taxes? Yes, he's fine. <laughs> he says he'll be back later in the week, which is good, because one of the psychics stole his wallet to investigate. <laughs> I love all of the psychics so much. They're just fucking shit up in the background. I just want to sit time. in the living room at 300 Fox Way and just watch them all. I don't I don't need to like do anything, just, you know, drink tea. Great. Anywho, the Raven Boys plus Blue are driving to Cape's Water, rocking out to bad music and generally enjoying themselves. Adam thinks back to when he first met Gansey and how if Gansey's Camaro, the pig, hadn't broken down as Adam rode beside on his bicycle, they probably wouldn't even be friends. But it did, and they are. So they approach the coordinates for Cape's Water. Adam thinks he sees a woman on the side of the road and then his hands go cold. He worries that Cape's Water is going to collect him when they arrive. However, when they arrive, there's nothing there. No forest, no trees, no magic, no nothing. And then the pig dies. Gansey calls Declan for help and Ronan grumbles. He throws himself into the back seat of the pig, pulls his leg casually over Adam and feigns sleep. Declan, of course, comes to yell at his brother, but Gansey calms him down. Though all the time, they're all, minus Declan, worrying about the disappearance of Gabe's water. Do does Declan and Ronan actually have a conversation that isn't shouting? No. Like, even in church, they're mm-hmm. shouting at each other. Yeah. No, they don't. <laughs> Always shouting. Always ca- All shout. Catholic All shouting. All the time. Catholic, sh- Catholic shouting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that the official terminology? <laughs> yes, that's what it is. From now on, Catholic shouting. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Later... Ronan has a nightmare that begins with him talking in Latin with Orphan Girl. Then Adam appears and puts on a mask. He turns evil, and when Ronan removes the mask, he removes Adam's face. Noah appears, realizing Ronan is having a nightmare, and wakes him. As Ronan comes out of the dream, he carries the mask, and with it, a nightmare creature. Noah rushes to find Gansey, who is sitting in the pig, as he sometimes does when he can't sleep. They hurry inside Monmouth Manufacturing to find Ronan covered in blood. Gansey immediately thinks back to the time that he found Ronan in a pool of his own blood after a suicide attempt. Ronan quickly tells Gansey that this is what happened that night. He didn't try to kill himself, but that he pulled a fucking nightmare from his dreams and it tried to kill him. 
bad times. He swore to his father that he would never reveal what he can do, but now he has. And luckily, his friends believe him. Though honestly, if they didn't believe him after seeing the huge monstrous bird creature, uh, 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 how else could you explain it? There's. I would totally be asking for like a T-Rex or something. Yeah. I don't know. Prove it, dude. Give me a T-Rex. Yeah, prove it. Mwah. 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 <laughs> Ronan and Gansey fight the dream bird monstrosity and manage to kill it, but unfortunately there were two and one got away, Ooh. which is terrifying beyond all reason. <laughs> now is not the time to think of that because they have to deal with a more urgent problem. What do they do with this giant nightmarish corpse? Hmm. <laughs> Shrug. They decide to load it in the trunk of Ronan's BMW and take it to the barns, even though he's not supposed to go there. The next day, Ronan and Gansey gather Blue and Adam and head to Ronan's forbidden childhood home. As they search the multiple barns that give the barns its name, they discover many cows and birds that appear to be sleeping. These are the cows Ronan remembers always being there but it's like they're in suspended animation. After staring at the sleeping animals, they find shovels and bury the nightmare creature. Before they leave, Ronan asks if he can go inside and see his mother. <sighs> the group heads inside and finds a variety of interesting items that make no sense, just like Ronan's puzzle box. It's clear to everyone that these are dream items. There's a working toaster, that doesn't have a cord, a very hot knife, a pencil that is actually a pen, a measuring tape that only measures two feet six inches, <laughs> a vase of blue lilies, a double-edged spoon, and a ton of other things. They also find Ronan's mother in the sitting room, seemingly asleep, just like the other sleeping animals. She's perfectly fine in every other way, but suspended. Later, Blue insists that Ronan speak to her family, and after some arguing, he relents. He, Gansey, and Blue talk to Kala, who is not only a psychic, but also has her psychometric ability. She holds Chainsaw and tells Ronan something that he has already figured out. If he were to die, Chainsaw would be perfectly fine, but would fall asleep. This is the same thing that has happened at the barns. All the animals there are perfectly healthy, only sleeping, because they're all dream creatures. And apparently, so is his mother. Ooh. They then wonder if they can wake a dreamed creature and decide that maybe if they were to take Ronan's mother to Cabeswater, a dreamlike place, she would wake up. Now they desperately want to find out. Test it first. <laughs> Take one of those birds from the barns. Drag a Wait, cow you, you, with you. Well, you know what they always say, you've got to measure twice, cut once. So measure two foot six inches yes. twice, yes. cut once with the hot knife. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. I'm sure that's exactly how that phrase goes to. <laughs> Roll and cost. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ronan goes to lunch with Matthew and realises that Declan knows about him and his father and his mother. But Ronan tells Matthew that he can bring their mother back and reminds him that he never lies. Throughout this chapter, there are bits mentioned from Neil Lynch's will. Each of his sons will earn $3 million when they reach the age of 18. And one day, the barns will belong to Ronan. Matthew knows that Ronan was their father's favourite and that he was their mother's, meaning Declan was no one's favourite. Which everybody knows. Everybody already knows that. Everybody knows. Poor Declan. Yeah. But also not poor Declan at the same time. He's a bit of an asshat. He is. And like, not in a good way. No. Not at all in a good way. He's not a lovable asshole. No. Mm -mm. He's just a regular one. The gray man realizes he left his wallet at 300 Fox Way. But now he's waiting outside Monmouth Manufacturing. Gansey rented a boat and asked Orla, one of Blue's many gorgeous female relatives, to go with them because he needed someone over 21 to rent the boat and he needs a psychic. As the gray man begins to go inside Monmouth, Joseph Kavinsky arrives and puts a bag full of fake IDs near the door. They're all perfect, except for the fact that Ronan is 74. (laughs) But the gray man is impressed. He calls 300 Fox Way about his wallet as he snoops around inside Monmouth. He's very flirtatious with Mora, who is very flirtatious right back. But then he realizes that someone else is in the building. Two someone else's, and they're trashing the place. The gray man thinks these are some of the others who are looking for the gray warren that Greenmantle mentioned. He quickly dispatches them and discreetly hides the bodies elsewhere. <laughs> He's a pro. He is a, the best hitman that has ever been. He's the best hitman that ever hit. <laughs> On the boat, Orla is lounging seductively in bell bottoms and an orange bikini. <laughs> Gansey is trying to hook up a sonar device while everyone else melts in the heat. Finally, with Ronan's help, the device starts working and soon they spot something in the water below them. As Gansey debates taking off his clothes and jumping in, Blue does just that, followed by Orla. Blue retrieves two items from the lake bed. One is a boss from a shield that definitely has ties to Glendower. The other is a very old, very aged wheel from the pig. Blue says she'll take them to Kala for psychometric reading, but she says it frostly as Gansey stares at bikini-clad Orla. But why does it matter that he's looking at her? He looked at Blue the same way, but she didn't notice. Oh. Later, Blue gets home and finds... God. Finds Noah reenacting his death on her front lawn. As you do. As one does. When he's finished, the gray man approaches, and he and Blue size each other up. She's overheard everyone talking about him, so she knows pretty much everything there is to know, and she seems okay with it, just like everyone else. The gray man asks Mora to dinner, and she accepts. Meanwhile... Meanwhile, Gansey and Ronan are on a mission. Gansey is not his usual calm self, but is very angry with Kavinsky, who he believes to be responsible for the destruction of Monmouth. They go to an abandoned fairground where Kavinsky's hanging out with some friends and playing chicken with cars and setting things on fire. Fun times. 
Ronan punches Kavinsky in the face a few times, but he says he's not the one who broke in. He invites them to a 4th of July fireworks show where they plan to explore things. Then he tells his friend, Prokopinko, to give him a cocktail. A Molotov cocktail, which he tosses inside his own car and explodes it for funsies. <laughs> As they drive heart. away, Kavinsky sends a text that he'll see them on the road. But how? They literally just exploded his car. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. Oh well. The grey man and Mora go on a date, and it's delightful and precious, even though he's a hitman. <clears throat> they Stop holding his profession against him. <laughs> Your job doesn't define the person. That's very true, especially in this case. They have a deep and immediate connection, which they both feel, and they kiss each other goodnight and part ways. During their kiss, Mara steals the grey man's phone. <laughs> Stop stealing his stuff! Oh my god, they are so bad. Look, he's a hitman that she has a crush on, okay? It's perfectly fine to steal his phone and investigate him. I, I, I give you that. It's not like he's going to have a Facebook page for you to go and stalk him on. No. <laughs> but it would be fun if it was just called the grey man. Mara and the other psychics search his phone and learn that he's looking for the Grey Warren, but he doesn't know that it's a he and not an it. Then he calls to tell Mara he had a lovely evening and then asks her to tell him what to bring for her to steal next time he sees her. Aww. That's so precious. That's precious. That night, Ronan has a dream of the tattoo on his back. First, Adam looks at it and traces the lines with his finger and it shrinks. Then Adam becomes Kavinsky and eats the shrunken tattoo. Ronan has some very interesting dreams, but at least this time no monsters came out. Hooray! Hooray? The next day... Helen picks up Gansey and Adam in her helicopter to go to their family home in D.C. for the campaign party, which of course makes Adam feel uncomfortable. Along the way, Gansey calls Mallory, who says they have to figure out why the ley line is surging, like an apparition and flickering in and out. Kind of like the apparitions Adam keeps seeing. Coincidence? While Gansey and Adam are flying, Ronan tries a set of Camaro keys he pulled from his dreams in the pig. They work. While Ronan is outside, probably causing trouble, Noah sneaks Blue inside Monmouth. They play pool and get a soda from the bathroom refrigerator, eat mint leaves, and lay in Gansey's bed. Blue realizes how it took this long, I don't know... But she realizes that she has a crush on Gansey, but doesn't have a crush on Adam, her boyfriend. I mean, come on, love. Really? (sighs) She and Noah talk about the no-kissing thing, which she still hasn't told Adam about, and Noah offers to let her try on him, because he is a ghost, so he can't die again. After a few giggly tries, they kiss, which makes Blue cry, knowing that she'll never get to do it again. Noah disappears, telling her that if he were alive, he'd ask her out. 
Aww. 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 I love that scene. Don't let death get in the way of a good romance. No, I mean, clearly they can have a nice relationship because Blue gives Noah all the energy he needs to live. In quotes. And they can have smoochies. And they can smooch because he can't die again. Exactly. Perfect. Later, Ronan takes Matthew to the barns with him to find their father's will. While Matthew looks around, Ronan takes his puzzle box and tests it on a line from the will, thinking it must be some sort of riddle he can't work out. But the line in the unknown language of the box is just a repeat of the last line of the will about how it's the last will of Neil Lynch, unless one other is created. Just standard will legalese. Matthew dashes to Ronan, terrified because there's someone in the house. Oh. Oh, no. No. It's not someone, it's some thing. Oh, A God. night horror. No! <laughs> they barricade themselves in the basement and the night horror leaves. But then a man, dressed all in grey, the grey man arrives, takes the puzzle box and leaves. Hmm. Gansey and Adam are dressed smartly in suits and red ties and are ready to dazzle at Gansey's mom's campaign party. Well, Gansey's ready to dazzle anyway. Adam's feeling anxious and overwhelmed at all the rich people, not to mention the ghostly reflections staring back at him from every reflective surface. Cabe's water is calling to him, but he can't do anything about it because he doesn't know how. Then there's a power surge, which Adam and Gansey know is actually a ley line surge, and while everyone is standing around in the brownout, an eerie chorus of Latin floats through the air, and everyone seems to be able to hear it. The disembodied voices sing of the Raven King, but only Adam and Gansey know that. They lock eyes from across the room. If you hear, I mean, this is just a general rule of thumb that I live my life by. If I start hearing Latin in a creepy situation, G-T-F-O. Yeah. Yeah. Because nothing good is going to come from that. Like, crosses are going to start to turn upside down, and then there's going to be flies, and then there's Catholic shouting. Catholic (laughs) shouting. There's going to be monks chasing things around... You know, there's horrors, there's going to be raining blood, Yeah. locusts. Yeah, all of this. Yeah. Ronan and Noah drive the Camaro with its dreamed keys to have a street race with Kavinsky, who is in a white Mitsubishi Evo exactly like the one he just recently exploded. He must have gone out and bought another one immediately afterwards. Definitely. Sure. Definitely. Sure. Yeah. With the knives they on race. the side and everything. Exactly. Sure. We've got a job lot of them. Bought them cheap. You know when you bulk buy? Yeah. Yeah. They're bulk. They're bulk Mitsubishis. Yes. Some of them are slightly defective, though. Well, you can't have all of them perfect. Well, they race. Noah feeling bad about it the entire time, but Ronan knows he can beat Kavinsky because the pig is faster. He he doesn't beat him. No, he doesn't. No. No, he doesn't. And then. Two night terrors land on the pig and punch through the windshield, making Ronan crash and destroying Gansy's car. One of his most favourite things. Oof. <sighs> Oof, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
feels like a dream, but man, it's definitely not. No, no. Kavinsky drives up and kind of offers to help, but not in a way Ronan expects. Kavinsky is a dreamer too, and he knows Ronan is because he saw him pull the nightmare creature out of his dream that night that Gansey thought Ronan attempted suicide. So that's why he's such a good forger and immediately has a duplicate car. Oh. 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 Adam and Gansey fight about Adam waking the ley line on his own. Adam thinks Gansey's mad because he did it without his permission, but really, Gansey's mad because Adam ran off on his own, which is exactly what Adam does again. Gansey doesn't immediately realize this because he goes to a tea party of his mother's. <laughs> and he assumes that Adam's just skipping it because it's a tea party and they're teenage boys, but no. Get- I can't imagine a teenage boy not going to a tea party because it's free food. I know, there's tiny sandwiches. Nobody can deny the, 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 the tiny sandwich. No, you must always indulge in tiny sandwiches. Yes, I want to indulge in tiny sandwiches. Me too. Mm. Me too. Okay, anyway, sorry, where were we? Oh yes, tiny sandwiches. Gansey spent the entire night after that talking to Blue on the phone because he's homesick. And at the same time, Adam is walking away. When Gansey realizes that Adam's gone, he asks his family for help finding him. And finally, as Gansey and his dad are driving the streets of D.C. looking, he gets a phone call. Adam is on the side of the interstate, 15 miles away from the Gansey family estate. After bringing him back home, they talk to a doctor who says Adam has transient global amnesia, but really it's Cabe's water messing with his head. Gansey's family gives Adam stuff without really giving him stuff, including a car. They can't understand why Adam won't accept help or money, but that's just how he is, stubborn and proud. As they leave, Adam in his new old car and Gansey in his second car, a Suburban, Adam says he's going to 300 Fox Way for help with the ley line, and Gansey says he's going to go check on Ronan. Meanwhile, Ronan is with Kavinsky, learning how to take things from dreams using instant knockout pills that Kavinsky dreamed up. He tells Ronan that he has to sneak into the dream space like a thief in order to take what he wants. So Ronan practices. Almost every time he goes into his dreams, Orphan Girl is there scared and upset and the trees tell him they they know he's there as he sneaks in over and over he notices the edge of his dreams are fraying he mentions this to kavinsky who says of course the dream space is fraying they're stealing from it after lots of tries and many many random dream things stolen ronan finally pulls out an almost perfectly imperfect version of the pig except it doesn't have an engine. Oops. It's fairly important. It still works, because whatever works in dreams will work in real life, but that's too imperfect for Gansey. He tries again, asking this time instead of stealing, and then he's able to pull a truly perfectly imperfect version of the pig out and drives off, leaving a very angry Kavinsky behind. 
Kavinsky thought he and Ronan would stick together after that since they're both dreamers, but Ronan would r- much rather be with Gansey, Adam and Noah. He's got to stick with his boys. Yeah. Meanwhile again, the grey man is falling for Mora and realizes after snooping through the barns and through Kavinsky's house and finally watching two boys dream in the middle of a field full of Mitsubishis <laughs> that the grey warren isn't a thing. It's a person. He asks the psychics about it, and they tell him that they know one of the boys, and they'd be very mad if he kidnapped or killed him. So he calls Green Mantle to tell him he doesn't have the object he's been sent to find. (gasps) He says all the tracking devices Green Mantle gave him were leading to a place, not a thing, and they led to Henrietta because there was recently an earthquake that's been causing power surges. It sounds plausible enough, but is Green Mantle going to believe it? No, probably not. As Gansey nears Henrietta, Ronan drives into him in the pig. Gansey doesn't want to see it, knowing that Ronan wrecked it, but Ronan is too joyful right now for Gansey to do anything but get out and look at his beloved car. Gansey asks where the damage is and Ronan tells him that he completely trashed the car on accident and it was really shitty of him to do so he dreamed this one to repair Gansey. He also explains he's figured out why Cape's water is surging and disappearing. It's because it's running out of energy thanks to Kavinsky and Ron too but not really. You know because they keep stealing from it. If they can stop Kavinsky maybe Cape's water will return. While Gansey and Ronan are talking about the pig, Blue is taking the Camaro wheel and the shield boss to Kala, who is twirling around in the air doing aerial yoga, and it's fantastic. It's delightful everywhere she ever performs. <laughs> she may- Blue makes Kala read both of the items with her psychometric power and learns that whatever happened to the wheel happened a long time ago and it hasn't happened yet at the same time. The boss was left behind as men dragged Glendower's body along the ley line after he died. She gets home and Adam is there and he wants to know why she won't kiss him so she tells him the reason and he's very angry about it he tells her to kiss him and she says no but it won't matter anyway because he's not the one and he'll never be the one oof he asks why and she explains that it's because she doesn't even know him because he won't tell her anything she had to find out from gansey about his home life and about his disappearance and everything else going on with him she wants to be his friend but he's not letting that happen yeah Mm. as adam's leaving 300 foxway overwhelmed with sadness about blue and also all the voices and reflections and apparitions he's constantly seeing Persephone stops him and tells him they need to talk. She wants to help him regain balance in his life, so she takes him to the reading room and gives him some pie. (laughs) She teaches him to scry and to read tarot cards to decipher what Caves Water is trying to tell him. She also tells him that he needs to be serious about his sacrifice and that if he is, he'll never be the same. 
After this talk, he's finally okay with it. He decides he'll never have Blue and he'll never have Gansey. But what he does have is himself and that's enough. He and Persephone read the cards and discover that his card is the Magician and that he can help restore the Leoline. But first, he's got to restore himself. After working with Persephone and finally listening to all the apparitions he's seen, he falls asleep for a very long time. He really needed Persephone there. He really, really he did. He really did. Yeah. And he probably really needed that pie. Because he missed out on the tiny sandwiches. Yes. <laughs> Healing pie. While Adam is asleep, Blue calls Gansey and asks him to take her on a drive. Now that she and Adam aren't a thing anymore, she's feeling sad about hurting him. So she asks Gansey to tell her what happened in D.C. and with Ronan. So he tells her everything he can think of to keep her mind off Adam. After listening to him talk, she finally feels able to speak. She tells Gansey about telling Adam about her kissing thing, which brings the two of them closer together. It's been happening all along in the background. Blue falling for Gansey, Gansey falling for Blue, and they both don't want to hurt Adam. They desperately want to kiss, but they know they can't. So they pretend for just a minute under the stars and then decide to never speak of it again. (laughs) You're mentioning it. Stop thinking about it. Stop it. You stop. You stop it. Ronan, meanwhile, gets several texts from Kavinsky that he doesn't respond to. Ask me about my first dream. My favourite forgery is Proko Pinko. I'm going to eat you alive. Ronan starts to take one of Kavinsky's pills to go to sleep, but chooses not to. He hopes to dream of his father, and unsurprisingly, he does. Ronan's dad is proud of him for finally taking control of his dreams. Ronan asks about the will and the last line, and Neil tells him it's a loophole written for a thief. They clasp hands before Ronan wakes. <gasps> Back at 300 Fox Way, Blue is sad. She's always sad. Her name is Blue. Exactly. She's just the sad person. It's just her disposition. She tries to go to sleep, but she's just sad. She hears her mother (laughs) and the rest of the psychics arguing about something, and one threatening to break something if Mara uses it again. Mara then comes to see Blue. Mara's also sad, and they both decide that they can do better things in life than be sad. So they get up and get moving. Across town, at the bed and breakfast, the gray man gets a phone call from Green Mantle, who calls him by his real name, Dean Allen. The gray man has avoided that name for a long time, but it seems Green Mantle is tired of waiting for him to find the gray warren, so he's done some digging and some blackmailing, and now he's doing some threatening. Green Mandel is giving the Grey Man until the 4th of July to give him the Grey Warren, or he's going to call his brother, who is apparently an even scarier person than the Grey Man. He tortured (laughs) Dean his entire life, and now the Grey Man is tired of it. Adam and the Grey Man sleep for 21 hours, and now it's the 4th of July. Adam leaves 300 Foxweir hurriedly and shortly after, Persephone follows. 
At Monmouth, Kavinsky has left a Mitsubishi as a gift for Ronan, with a rather sordid nod that makes Gansey question Kavinsky's sexuality and makes Ronan joke that he has three testicles. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) Then Kavinsky texts Ronan, Ballsack. (laughs) Which is a very appropriate text for a teenage boy. Clearly, he wants Ronan's attention, but all Ronan wants is for him to stop dreaming and ruining Cabe's water. Soon, Mora, Carla and Blue drive to Monmouth to retrieve Gansey and Ronan. They are on a mission. Balzac. <laughs> Balzac. The group goes to the grey man's bed and breakfast in the hopes that they can convince him not to kidnap and or kill Ronan. It goes surprisingly <laughs> well, but involves a conversation that Ronan does not enjoy. The gray man, on Green Mantle's orders, killed his father and left his body where Declan would find it in the hopes that Declan would tell him where the gray warren was. Well, that didn't work. Ronan throws himself at the gray man and they fight for a bit, but they eventually stop. They try to figure out ways to trick Green Mantle that involve giving him Kavinsky or Ronan dreaming another Grey Warren, but he refuses to do that. Finally, the Grey Man decides he will call Green Mantle on the 4th to tell him that he has the Grey Warren and is keeping it for himself. Then, he'll disappear. Adam has gone to Cave's Water, or where it should be, to figure out what to do. He realises he must repair the Lear line, but doesn't quite understand how just yet. Then Persephone shows up with a tarot deck, ready to help. At the same time, Ronan gets another dumb teenage boy text from Kavinsky. At 300 Foxway, a little later, they try to figure out what to do to stop Kavinsky. The grey man suggests talking to him in a way that only a hitman could, (laughs) but they decide against it. Gansey calls then, offering the gifted Mitsubishi to the Grey Man for his escape on Ronan's behalf. Then, the Grey Man's brother calls from Henrietta, which means Green Mantle is on to him. Persephone and Adam are busily travelling along the ley line, trying to repair it. Sometimes, that means moving stones out of its way, or collecting them for a greater purpose. All they know is that they must hurry. Adam listens to what Cabeswater tells him to do and eventually realizes that he has to repair the line as soon as possible because Ronan is going to need Cabeswater's power that night to do something momentous. Ronan goes to church on the 4th and expects to sit quietly and angrily with his brothers like he always does at church. (laughs) But Matthew is not there. Oh, no. Declan believes his absence is in retaliation for Ronan missing church while he was dreaming with Kavinsky. But that doesn't sound like Matthew. It's not a Matthew thing at all. Mm-mm. No. They both try to call him but get no response. Then Ronan gets another very teenage text from Matthew's number and the exact same from Kavinsky's. Kavinsky has kidnapped Matthew and expects Ronan to show up at his huge 4th of July extravaganza prepared to dazzle. If not, Kavinsky will kill Matthew, just like he killed his father and his friend, who he dream replaced, Prokopenko. Oh, Prokopenko's a dream! 
Gansey and Ronan pick up Blue and rush to the drag racing strip where Kavinsky has his large and outlandish 4th of July celebrations every year. Last year, there were rumors of a tank being exploded, which sounds exactly like Kavinsky. Soon, at least 10 Mitsubishis arrive and the party begins. When Ronan approaches, nearly begging Kavinsky for his brother and to stop dreaming for the love of fuck, Kavinsky tells Ronan that Matthew is in one of the cars. Then he takes a pill and falls into a dream. Gansey and Blue begin frantically searching the cars while Ronan follows Kavinsky into sleep. In the dream of Caveswater, Ronan tries to convince Kavinsky to stop because he's clearly destroying this dream space, but he's set on destruction. He dreams a huge fire dragon and takes it and the rest of Caveswater's power out with him. You're gonna dream, you dream big. Dream big! Suddenly, Adam appears. He tells Ronan he figured out that he was responsible for the rent adjustment at the beginning of the book, and now he's there to fix Kiev's water so Ronan can save everyone else from the monster that Kavinsky just brought into the world. Yay! Yay! Lightning strikes as Adam puts the last stone into place and Kiev's water's power is restored. Ronan then hears the sound of his night horrors coming for him and then the voice of Cave's Water giving him strength to use the night horror to fight Kaminsky's dragon. Ooh. Orphan Girl shows up too, which gives him the courage he needs. This time, his night horror is huge and white instead of black and has massive wings and claws and two beaks. Ronan wakes up. <gasps> Meanwhile, the Grey Man is driving away from Henrietta and is being followed by two cars, some of the other men who were sent to find the Grey Warren and also his brother. All the EMF readers and other searching equipment that he brought with him suddenly goes haywire and the Grey Man realizes that something must have happened to the line and whatever it is is going to protect and hide Ronan from anyone else who comes looking for the Grey Warren. He decides then that he wants to stay in Henrietta, and he can if he gets rid of his followers. So he pulls over. The other searchers drive up to his car while his brother's car hangs back. The gray man convinces the searchers that their equipment went bonkers because of a fault line and that what they're searching for isn't here, and they believe him and drive away. His brother, on the other hand, immediately starts a torturous conversation that the gray man ends with two bullets in his brother's head. Then he drives back to Henrietta. And we cheer. <laughs> and we cheer. Gansey and Blue continue searching cars for Matthew while Ronan argues with Kavinsky and their dream monsters battle overhead. It's very cinematic. It's, oh, it's so cool. Everyone in the crowd is enjoying this immensely, not understanding that these are literally <laughs> gigantic kaiju monsters <laughs> that can kill them at any moment. <laughs> Kavinsky's fire dragon explodes Mitsubishi's after Mitsubishi after getting even closer to the one containing Matthew. All Kavinsky wants is Ronan, but Ronan isn't interested in Kavinsky's way of life. He finally tells Ronan that Matthew is in the car that they're sitting right by. And then he calls his dragon to come destroy it. 
Ronan gets Matthew out just as the fire dragon descends, exploding the car and killing Kavinsky. <sighs> and then Prokopenko <laughs> falls asleep at the wheel and crashes a Mitsubishi in the background. Bloody Mitsubishi. I just wanted to say Prokopenko and Mitsubishi again. <laughs> Later... Ronan dreams an addendum to his father's will, allowing the Lynch brothers to return to the barns after they all turn 18. He and his friends then drive to the barns to retrieve his mother and take her to the fully restored cave's water in hopes that taking a dreamed thing to a dream place will allow it to wake. And it does! Yay! While they're there, Adam brings their attention to something that wasn't there before. A cave. Back at 300 Fox Way, Kala is furious. She finds a note from Mara next to a knocked-over scrying bowl, saying that Glendower is underground, and now so is she. (gasps) (gasps) End. Cliffhanger! These books have such good cliffhangers. (laughs) And now, everyone, go and listen to this promo that's gonna be a really good one. Cliffhanger! It's got nothing to do with Mitsubishis. Or Prokopenko. 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 Or Convince Kavinsky. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Barbara. And I'm Lauren. We are the hosts of Badass Literature Society, a book review podcast where we take book recommendations from listeners like you, read them, and then discuss them on our show. Join us once a month as we dive into the books you picked and talk about them. And don't miss our bonus episodes covering all sorts of random bookish topics that come out in between reviews. Don't worry, if you want to read one of the books, the first part of each episode is designated spoiler-free, so you can listen and see if you'd like to read it, and then come back and listen to the rest later. You can find Badass Literature Society on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else you like to listen. Now, back to the show. So much. (laughs) There's so much about this book. I love it. It's my favorite one. Why is it your favorite one? (sighs) Okay. I love, the floor is yours, Amanda. The floor is yours. I love all of the stuff at the barns. All of the dream stuff. And, like, Adam becoming weird, but, like, I also kind of hated that at the same time. Because I just don't know how I feel about Adam. And I really loved Blue kissing Noah. And there was a scene where Chainsaw hides a cracker. And the night horror versus the fire dragon. But all of that amazing, like, just bonkers stuff aside... What I love most about this book is the relationship between Kavinsky and Ronan. What is it about the relationship that you love so much? Because Kavinsky is an... Well, they're both assholes, but Kavinsky is a regular asshole. Ronan's more lovable. I I don't know if everyone realizes at this point that Ronan is gay. And there's so much, like, weird sexual tension between him and Kavinsky 
And it's just like it it hurts my heart how like Ronan really you can tell that Ronan like is attracted to Kavinsky and Kavinsky is clearly attracted to Ronan. I mean, he fucking rubbed his head in like the first scene that we see them interacting and he's giving him all these dream gifts and everything. And they're like, they're the same. They're the same. But Ronan is the good version and Kavinsky is the bad version. But like, there's just this desired relationship happening the whole time but it's never going to happen well especially now that Kavinsky's you know but I mean there there was a time where it's like it's like right after Kavinsky teaches Ronan how to pull all the things from his dreams and he pulls out the pig and it's perfect and he's like all right bye so Ronan just uses him, which is horrible, and drives away. And Kavinsky's like, okay, if you are not with me, you are against me. And then he completely, like, he kidnaps Matthew very shortly after that and threatens to kill him. And then there's a whole lot of conversations where Kavinsky is like, Ronan, you are never going to end up with Gansey, which obviously we know that's not going to happen, but he's like, you're, you're never going to be good enough for him. You're never, he's never going to want you. And then Ronan's like, well, I've just dreamed him this perfect car and now I'm going back to my friends. And after they have their huge battle and like Kavinsky pulls out the fire dragon and makes Ronan come after him with a nightmarish creature. It's again going back to this whole thing with Ronan going back to his friends and leaving Kavinsky behind. And then it finally happens again there when they're sitting watching their kaiju monsters fight in the air. Like Kavinsky tries again and he's like, no, this is, this is not what I want. And then Kavinsky kills himself. Which is so huge. Yeah. Wah! <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't expected. That was a massive surprise. Spoiler is my surprise. <laughs> Kavinsky and the fire dragon? Just... And Kavinsky's end? Yeah. It, it... The fact he killed himself and wasn't you know, murdered. I mean, he should have been murdered. He was not a good guy. No. no I he think... Is the char- he, he, is the, he is the character that, for the greater good, has to go. Yeah. But I can only imagine that... I mean, Ronan is a lovable asshole. And if he had just cared a little bit about Kavinsky... Maybe Kavinsky could have changed into a better person. But we'll never know. Because he fire-dragoned no. himself. It's, it's it's quite a fatal ending for someone to be fire-dragoned. Yeah. Fire-dragoned to death. Yeah, you're not coming back from that. No. No. And poor Prokopenko. Just fell asleep. Because he's a dream creature. Crashes Mitsubishi. <laughs> One of a thousand. 
I find it very interesting that there are many people in this world right now in Henrietta that that have this ability. Because it seems kind of rare. And then Kavinsky dries up. Henrietta in its entirety is pulling all these... I mean, look at everyone at 300 Fox Way. Yeah. There's just ability after ability and power and... It it's just a hellmouth. It is, and now the hellmouth is open. Dum dum dum. And Mara is apparently in there. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I'm 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 interested to find out what happens there. Yeah. Yeah. I really like Mara and the Grey Man. By the way, me like too. The Man. Spoilers is one of my favorite characters. Yes, yeah. Um, I really like the Grey Man. I just I would appreciate just stories about him because I don't know. Just I really like I really liked him, mm-hmm. and I really liked it when he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to lie about having the Grey Warren. I'm gonna have to go on the run and escape my brother, who is a sociopathic CEO genius." Who will never get caught. Yeah. <laughs> who made him the man that he is. And he's like, oh, I'm sure there's a, there's a pot at home that I haven't washed. I'm never going to get the chance to wash that bloody pot. And I was like, oh, that's, that, that's delightful. The fact he's hung up on this single pot he's never going to get to wash. I love the grey man. But then he kills his brother and I cheated. Yes. I cheated long and hard. Yeah. Can I say the two things that kind of bugged me a little bit? Yeah, of course. Prokopenko? No. Was it Prokopenko? No, never Prokopenko. It was Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi. <laughs> Mitsubishi. I swear, I was listening to this in the car driving to work. And it felt like every other word was Mitsubishi at one point. And I was like, if I had a pound for every time Mitsubishi is mentioned, I feel like I'd be very, very rich. So I did a search mm-hmm. and I checked. Mm-hmm. And the word Mitsubishi appears 82 times in this book. Well, And I'm surprised on one hand that it's not more. Yes. I love the fact that it's mentioned so many times because there are so many Mitsubishis that Kavinsky has dreamed up in his yes. field. And uh, I really I liked that scene when they're driving up and they finally get together and, you know, Kavinsky's going to teach Ronan how to dream and they're like driving through this field and it's just row after row after row of Mitsubishi after Mitsubishi after Mitsubishi and some of them are weird and like this one has one headlight and this one doesn't have doors and it's like it's like the barns with the tape measure that only measures two feet six inches <laughs> in Mitsubishi form. is only two foot six inches long. Yeah <laughs> and one of them only writes in cursive. Yes. One of them is double-ended. Yes. And the other one is very hot. One of them is very hot. <laughs> and none of them have cords. No. <laughs> I love all of the dream stuff. The dream stuff is delightful. It's like, what weird and wonderful thing can you pluck from the dream? Well, 
anything really it's a yeah, dream it's a dream and i really Would you like a big dragon there we go oh, here you go a mitsubishi a camaro a double-ended spoon i like that they're when they're looking through all of the stuff in the barns and they're like talking about the things that they find and they like flip through a calendar and it's just april over and over and over again i mean that feels like a bad dream anyway there's always so many random ass things in your dreams. And just imagine that they're just they're just coming out. They're just all over the place. Did you ever watch Westworld? I watched only the first season of Westworld and not the well, original movie from the seventies or whatever. Fine. The first you know in the first season of Westworld when they go into like the big warehouse and there's just all of the the, the the creations the robots yeah uh-huh. just there and the power down yeah it, that's what I like the feeling that I got it's like as if you walked into the West World warehouse and there's all these people and creatures and items and things that are cr- yeah correct but not correct yeah um just lying around every what's that what is the phrase is not <sighs> It's not inhuman. I can't remember what the phrase is, but there's a specific phrase for when something is human-like. Um, uncanny Valley. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. That's it. And it's just this warehouse of Uncanny Valley, and that's the feeling I got with the barns. It's like, so the mother's in situ in, on the sofa, and even the sofa was probably pulled from a dream. Yeah, probably. Next to a, a phone that's got no cord and the numbers are probably in reverse as well probably and it's just that's the kind of feeling that i got that it was like um westworld so if you've ever seen that you kind of get that you yeah. can kind of get that feel and then you can go into the uncanny valley of mitsubishis oh my god <laughs> i don't like mitsubishi cars i had to drive one once it was a rental it was horrible <sighs> Which probably adds to why I was getting really like frustrated by the constant mentioning yeah, of Mitsubishi. Probably. I was like, I hate that car so much. Um, <laughs> I, I think that that is one of Maggie Stiefvater's favorite cars. Like She has, in real life, the pig, and she has, in real life, this, this Evo. Because she is a, I guess is... You would call her a petrol head. She's she is a car person and has written for car magazines. So she well, like really fine. likes you all of do... this stuff and she just wrote it right here. Here it is a thousand times. Well, you write what you know, and I'm perfectly fine with that. If yeah. you like a Mitsubishi, that's fine. I don't yeah. have to like a Mitsubishi. No. I'll take the Camaro. <laughs> If I can only have one. <laughs> you have to pick one. Yes. <laughs> I want a yellow. I want to look like Bumblebee. Oh, you don't, you don't want an orange one? No, I want a yellow one that okay. looks like Bumblebee. Okay. That's fine. So I can live my best Transformer lifestyle. Um, can, I, can, I, can I mention Kavinsky's audiobook narration? Yes. It was not what I expected. It, it made me giggle. Because it was very, oh, <laughs> and every time it happened, I was like, oh, 
it's both cringe and delightful. Yeah. It was just, I just wasn't expecting it. But it's like, hey, oh. Yeah, it was, (laughs) it was just so greasy and terrible, just like Kavinsky. It was perfect. But it also made me feel like Kavinsky's a lot older than he actually is. But then he texts you ball sack, so you know he's a teenage boy. <laughs> there was so much... Don't text ball sack, by the way, people. Or pictures of ball sacks. Oh, please, no. Unless no. they're wearing a hat. It's going to be an ugly hat. An ugly hat. A very ugly hat. It's just one. Just... One testicle in an ugly hat. It's Kavinsky's third one <laughs> that Ronan assumes that he has. But uh, spare and one for the hat. Yeah, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Goddamn. Jeez. Um, what do you think about? I know in the in the first book you were like, I you could take or leave blue. Oh, see, I'm still... Yeah. She still has the one is over. Yeah, but in this one, I mean, she's not in it very much because it's all about Ronan, which, you know, I love. But how do you... What do you think about Blue ditching Adam? Good. I'm actually pleased by that because I don't think... They didn't make a pairing. They didn't... They didn't know each other. They just kind of met and were like all right we'll be boyfriend and girlfriend now yeah and that's it and i was like you didn't you've, you've done nothing to actually create a relationship there's no honesty or trust between them because if there was blue would have said you you know the whole psychic thing my family you know what 300 fox where is well this is the prophecy that has always been said i cannot kiss you in case this happens. It's still early days in our relationship, and frankly, I do not want that on my ledger. Yeah. So have some communication, have some honesty, and have some trust. And they didn't have that. No. And even from book one, for me, it's like right. So you've got four boys. Well, one of them's gay. Another one's dead, but that doesn't exclude them completely. Right. You're kind of dating one, but are you really? You're going to start developing feelings for the other. It was. It's not a surprise. It is yeah. completely expected. Yeah. There's so, there's a line in the book that like there's one moment where something's going on and like at that at that moment, Blue feels like she's in love with all of the boys, which I think is really precious yes. and accurate. When you're the when you're the one girl and all of your friends are boys. So of course yes, you're and I completely get that. Completely get that because yeah. you've probably in the same situation where you've been the only girl in the friend group, and yeah, happen happens. But it's not a romantic love. No, and it's a platonic love, which is the same thing as that you have with your girlfriends as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. It's a platonic love. It just can be interpreted different because it's the automatic thing of boys and girls can't be friends. Um, but I've I've just been waiting for Blue to like an add to split for yeah. her to realise actually I do have feelings for Gansey. I have been waiting for the kiss with Noah because it's like 
it feels like the obvious thing. You want to have a smooch, but you don't want to kill someone. You've got Noah literally standing right there. Yeah. And you know that Noah also has feelings for Blue as well. Of course. So, yeah. I don't know. I think I can... I could... I'll keep Blue, but can I take the romance out completely and just get rid of that? Just yeah. sack it off? Except for I the fact that we do need it because it's very important to the story. Because oh, she's been told so her entire I life. I know, but I just don't need it. No. I just That's I, not it, the key thing to this story. The key thing here is discovering this magic and finding this king and getting your wish. That's the most important thing. The romance is not important at all. But it does play a key role because Blue's going to kill the boy that her true love. So it's very important. But it's but not important at the same time. all the time? Well, to be fair, she didn't really go on about it a lot in this one because she wasn't even in this book very much. Thank goodness. <laughs> I know. I just think she's my least ca- favorite character. I always get this impression that, you know, say it was 10 years down the line and one of the boys, Adam, is dating somebody else. And he's like, right, well, you know, you're going to come meet my friends because it's a case of, you know, you, you love me, you love my friends. Mm-hmm. And she's still the sole female in the party. And she's the gatekeeper. And it's like, no, I don't like them. Mm. Because she's too possessive over them. Yeah. And I just get this, that I don't know why. I'm probably doing Blue a massive disservice. And I think it's just because out of all of the entire character list, she is my absolute least favourite. Yeah. And I I just... There's just so much diversity and character and personality with everybody else. I mean, freaking colour doing aerial yoga and giving everybody sass yes it was beautiful it was beautiful i love persephone giving him the pie and yes. be like right you need this pie mm-hmm. now let's learn tarot mm-hmm. and him getting frustrated with trying to learn tarot and she's like no 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 no, you can do it you just kind of go relax into it and being that kind of guiding mm-hmm. almost maternal figure for him yeah. and yeah and then every time he gets frustrated she's like now just eat some pie yeah just have a bite pie. just have a bite of pie and we'll go on uh, magic pie that's what it is it's magic pie it's magic pie and it's very important we should all have magic pie. We should life. all have magic pie. My tummy literally pie. just growled if you didn't catch that. What mine is about to... And I'm not even hungry at all. I'm still stuffed off my tea. Mine, <laughs> Mine's about to grumble too. Yeah. Well, that is fair, given the, the time of the call. I know. I know. But yeah. Um, so I want to go back and, and think a little bit about something that you said, you know, about about Blue being your least favorite, like just, just being there. And I almost kind of feel like that's that's just what her character is because you know she's the one who gives power to the psychic she boosts their abilities whatever it's like that's just what she does she's just there to like boost everything up in the background and make everything more important while she's just kind of back here in the shadows not doing anything and you don't care about her 
you don't care about the battery that's making your remote work. You just care that your remote works. So, like, you don't, well, don't care true. about and Blue. She just has to be there for the story to work. It's just, a, then it's a disservice to Blue. But also, but also it's not, the story's not about Blue. No, Even though exactly. it kind of is, you know, but it's... It it's, kind of is, but it's kind of... I'm, that, this is why I don't feel too bad about not particularly liking her. Because at the end of the day, it's, you know, the Raven Boys, the Raven Cycle. It's not the Blue and the Boys. It's Yeah, it's not the Blue. It's it's not the Blue Cycle. No. It's not the Blue Period. It's no. the Raven and Cycle. And to be fair, it's nice to actually have it where... The boys are the ones who are the main characters because mm-hmm. in YA fiction we've said a few times you know the the the, the male characters are usually the stars of the show when yeah. this one they very much are yeah and that's why I like it so much <laughs> also because I love Ronan I am in love with Ronan <sighs> he doesn't like me back and that's okay mm-hmm. not not in that way <laughs> not in that way and that's fine. But he might pull your dream Mitsubishi if you ask him. He might. He might. How do you pull a car out of your dream? How do I you, don't know. How do What's you pull the logistics of this? People, living people out of your dreams. Like, it's, it's bonkers. But I also love it because dreams don't make sense. And so this doesn't make sense at all. What What's the ethics in that? I mean, okay... Pulling a Mitsubishi out of a dream in a double-ended spoon, fine. Fine. I can, I can even resolve myself to night horrors and fire dragons. But a person who you then marry and have children with and upon your death will just go to sleep. What's the ethics yeah, in this? I don't know. It's rough. And technically, that means they're not alive. I know. I know. It makes your brain start to hurt. And then you have to stop thinking about it. And then you have to stop thinking about Procopinko. Are they half a dream? Which would explain Ronan's power. But what about Declan and Matthew? Now, see, what I wonder is, like, is, is Aurora... A dream creature altogether he dreamed her into existence or is she a Prokopenko and he fell in love with this woman and then maybe had a kid Declan and then she died tragically so he dreamed her back into existence and then there's Ronan so how'd you explain Matthew to be determined hmm but then, Still, like, there's some there's some ethical questions yeah, in there. I can't remember. I can't remember Aurora. I think I think we'll learn. I can I cannot remember, but I think we learn if she is completely 100 percent a dream or if she was a person first. I think she was 100 percent a dream. So my Declan and Ronan and Matthew that doesn't make any sense, but it would be a good thought if it did make sense. If it was true. But it's not, because it's a dream, and then it makes my brain hurt. Yeah. Ow. I know. I'm really sad that in writing this summary, because it's so long, Mm. that I had to leave out all of the chainsaw details. 
I love Chainsaw. I love Chainsaw. She's so precious, especially the scene that I didn't even include, but I did mention in my favorite my favorite moments because she's just like being a little bird flitting around and Ronan reaches out to her at one point because he's like really pondering you know, like how how did I pull Chainsaw this perfect living bird out of my dream and like she grew from a tiny like little hatchling and now she's you know a full-size bird and she's just walking around doing bird stuff like uh, every bird would do and in this case I'm talking specifically about her finding a cheese cracker and then putting a bunch of stuff on top of it to hide it from Ronan and it's just precious because he's sitting there like pondering these really deep thoughts and she's like putting a bottle cap on top of a cracker putting a sock on top of the bottle cap on top of the cracker, putting an envelope <laughs> on top of the sock on top of the bottle cap on top of the cracker, like looking at Ronan the whole time. <laughs> I just, I love it. I love it so much. I love Chainsaw. Chainsaw's the best. Chainsaw's the best. And she's a dream. Mm-hmm. I just really, really like this book. I did enjoy the 300 Foxwake people stealing all the grand man stuff. Yes. That was delightful. And then yeah. he's like, what else can, what, what do you want to steal from me next time? Yeah, what do you and want me to bring? Not being offended. Not like, at oh, all. I'm a hitman. Yeah. All right, okay. You know, They're just like, oh, I've got to pay the bills. Shrug. Is the vacation time okay? Do you get, do you get healthcare? I mean, probably not. No, but you could probably afford it, you know. Yeah. I don't think it's the, I don't think it's like a $12 an hour job. No, he probably gets paid huge bulk payments. And he's just got savings. But he's obviously worked hard to do that, to get to the contract level where, you know, he's increased the the grade of his pay. Yeah. He's fantastic. Imagine that evaluation. I mean, yeah. And how many people... Well, I've killed 24 people in all these different ways. And Mm -hmm. uh, how did you dispose of their bodies every time, these 24 people that you killed? (laughs) Well, it wasn't a fake body, so I knew not to burn it. No. Did you put it into a barrel and roll it down a hill? Did you throw it into the middle of the lake? Cement. Put the put in the barrel. Put cement in the barrel. Close the barrel up. Put it into the into the middle of the lake. Ah, Teen Killers Club throwback. I think that brings us to time for Would You Rather. Then we're talking about other books. Also, we've been recording this for like eight hours already. Eight hours of 34. And we've already mentioned Mitsubishi 79 times. We've still got another three to get. I know. It's like the it's like the box in the woods. How many times do we say Mitsubishi? How many times do we say box in that episode? How many times do we say Mitsubishi in this episode? It was like 209 times or something like it that. It was some crazy times. amount of times that we said box. And of course we did it on purpose. I mean, it, it lost all meaning. It I did. think Mitsubishi for me has lost all meaning. Yeah, yeah. Mitsubishi is not a thing anymore. I don't know what it is anymore. Mm-mm. No. Mitsubishi must be a dream. It is a dream. I know not what it is. All meaning has been lost. <laughs> Anywho, it's definitely time. <laughs> it's time. It's time for the love of fuck. Pew, 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 pew.
be asked on social media, would you rather have a double-edged spoon or a hot knife? <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook, 81% of you are getting a knife. On Instagram, 67% said spoon. On Twitter, it was 75% knife. And on TikTok, 52% spoon. So very spread out. Yeah, very spread that's out. very interesting. Let's have a look at some comments because I'm still undecided. Vincent on Facebook said, a hot knife so I can actually spread so-called spreadable butter straight from the fridge onto my toast slash bread without tearing it to shreds. Katrina on Facebook said, hot knife for when the butter is too cold. I can't think of a use for a double spoon. Colin on Facebook said, give me that hot knife. I am not a loud sharp thing, so if I can pull something that is both sharp and hot from my dreams, that will be just great. Also, I've played knifey spoony before, so I know which one wins. <laughs> I see you've played knifey spoony before. <laughs> it's scary how much I, the knifey spoony thing makes into my everyday conversation. Same. At home. Same. Us too. Yeah. Yeah. Emily on Facebook says, I chose a double-edged spoon because I don't want to burn myself with a hot knife. Sensible. Mm-hmm. Brie on Facebook said hot knife seems more useful I don't know what for yet it'll come with an oven mate <laughs> Constance on Facebook has chosen spoon and has sung to us about it and the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon little boy blue and the man and the moon when you're coming home that I don't know when but we'll get together then you know we'll have a good time then <laughs> I'm so proud of myself for not laughing that whole time because I wanted to I kept a straight face just so you wouldn't <laughs> start laughing right Constance we need to have a word about using musical answers it's fine but i also don't know why you've picked spoon because she's a chef she needs a spoon she needs two spoons to make her pastries and but she she stirs would be very useful no as a baker no but it's butter. no but it's all spoons because like you're stirring your stuff up with your spoon and you're like oh there's stuff on this spoon and i can't stir very well and so i just need to flip it over to the other side and then you stir it again and while you're stirring this side then you come lick that side and then you turn it over again and then you put the licked spoon back into the batter oh, and then no, you stir you the double dip. <laughs> you double dip. But it's a double-edged spoon. You have to double dip with the double-edged spoon. You have to double dip with the double-edged spoon. You have to double dip with the double-edged spoon. Double dip. Oh, you nasty bitch. Give me another comment while I judge you. L20Kev on Instagram says, As a foodie, I feel like I could really make use of a double-edged spoon. Like eating porridge with one end whilst dipping the other simultaneously in more biscuit. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised there was no urine in this or any Me, other disgusting no. body parts. Because there's always something disgusting with L20Kev. And I'm a little bit disappointed this time. I'm not going to lie. I am lie. not. I am not. Because we also know that L20Kev is a foodie. And if he's, and he does enjoy his biscoff and his porridge. I'm just disappointed that it wasn't more disgusting. You just like it always disgusting. I do. 
Can, you know, you've just double dipped a double-edged spoon yes. in a mass production bakery. Yes. Can we not have any more disgusting stuff involving urine? You know, after that horrendous description that you've so just given us. That was enough? It was more than enough. It was too much. Too much. <laughs> right, give me some library comments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had some this time. Somebody said double-edged spoon. It feels more functional, despite the shape. Someone else said, spoon, you can eat so much cereal. <laughs> then someone else said, hot knife. When I slice into a loaf of bread, my piece will be toasted. Also, you don't have to worry about cold butter tearing up your bread. Um, I want to share something else about this because I don't know if everyone remembers or if I've even talked about it. But this is written on the wall in our break room at the library. And... Four different people came up to me and said, Amanda, what is a double-edged spoon? And some people thought that it was a spoon that had, like, blades on the side. So it was, like, like kind of spadey, like, kind of speary. And so they That's were thinking... It's a knifey spoon. It was very knifey spoony. And so then I said, no, it's a spoon on both ends. So then... <laughs> One of my coworkers went to the break room right then immediately and drew a picture of a double-edged spoon and a flaming knife. <laughs> Do you know what's really funny as well? That when I was looking for the images for the Would You Rather, you can put double-edged spoon in Google Images mm -hmm. and there are hundreds and sure. hundreds mm -hmm. and hundreds. But hot knife? No. No. No, it's hard. I insist... We need to get somebody from your library on to join us for Would You Rather for something. I would Preferably the most ludicrous book we're going to cover this year because we get some excellent comments. So yeah. I insist we have one of your colleagues come and join us. I would us for really would you like for that to happen. And I've got one in mind. And I know that this person has answered many of our Would You Rather questions before in very ridiculous ways. So I, I hope that it can happen. I hope I can convince them to do it. Mint. We'll see. Who knows? What are you? What's your answer to this question? I honestly do not know. <laughs> I mean, the hot knife, it includes a hot handle. Yeah. And that's Bernie. Yeah. Why is it you always get given butter and it's too hard? You know, you go to a restaurant and they give you bread and butter. And it's like, and the, given the me butter's a rock, cold. Yeah, the butter's cold. And it's like, I'm, even if I put it on the toast, I end up, like, holding it against my tea or coffee yeah. to soften it. I it like, frustrates the life out I, of me. I like to, like, cut the bread, whatever kind of bread it is, into two pieces while it's still hot and, like, put a cold pat of butter in the middle and smoosh it so the butter yes. gets melty. And that, But that's, that's on the presumption that they deliver the toast hot. That's Isn't true. always the case when you go out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like... Can I just answer... Can I answer for the both of us? Yeah, go for it. I feel like because of what I was saying earlier about Constance and how she uses her double-edged spoon, I feel like that that is the sole reason for you to choose hot knife and for me to choose double-edged spoon. Can we play knifey spoony? We can play knifey spoony. 
Although I would probably pick the hot knife because I feel like, I mean, you could you could cut somebody pretty good with a hot knife. If I'm going to play a knifey spoony in a knifey spoony fight, I'm taking a knife. Right. Especially if it's hot. You, 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 you don't would win. bring a spoon to a knifey spoony fight. No. No. Okay. I don't know if we answered that question. Let's move on. That's the why. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, this is another dream question. Pretty sure all of them are going to be dream related because that is all this book was about. Would you rather use a pencil that is actually a pen or a pen that only writes in cursive and or because this is all of the would you rather questions that we were going to post on social media and we couldn't decide. Would you rather have a cordless toaster or a cordless microwave? Let's just answer all of them. Okay. I'll tell you right now, it's cordless toaster because my microwave lives in the utility room because I fucking hate microwaves. Okay. So it is banished to the utility room. Okay. However, the toaster, when it is in use, comes into the kitchen. When it is not in use, it goes into the utility room and actually sits on top of the microwave to keep it off the counter because it's it's a four slice toaster. So it's okay. quite big and bulky. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'll take a yes. cordless toaster for practical reasons. Okay. Um, and I'll have a pencil that is actually a pen because it just seems more useful. I don't need to see cursive all the time. I yeah. don't think it's necessary for people to have to write in cursive. You know, as long as your writing is legible, I don't give a flying fuck. Yeah. Um. Plus, I like pens more than pencils because I feel like pens are more permanent. Mm-hmm. Like you are setting it down. There's no commitment issue. Sure. To what you're writing. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's my answer. All right. Um, I am going to choose a pen that only writes in cursive because that seems more unique. I mean, there there are pencils that are actually pens. Th- that already exists in real life. Yeah. But there's not a pen that only writes in cursive because that's not a thing. How, like... I love I love this scene, too, because this is when Kavinsky is trying to teach Ronan and he's, like, telling him to pull random things from the dream. And this, this is what Ronan comes out with. And it's like, it's just a pen. And he's like, okay, but write with it. And Kavinsky starts writing and it looks like George Washington writing. And it's like a big, really, really <laughs> loopy, crazy writing. And then Kavinsky goes into a dream and pulls out a pen cap that matches the cursive pen perfectly and, like, puts it on. And that's it. (laughs) And now there's no more frilly writing. So I'm going to pick that one. I'm going to pick that one because I like it because it's more weird. And then for the cordless toaster or cordless microwave, I feel like a cordless microwave would be more useful. Because you can heat up more things in a cordless microwave than you can heat up in a cordless toaster. But I'm not going to heat water for my tea because if I said that I did that, Claire's head would explode. My head wouldn't explode. I would have magical powers that make your head explode. That's also okay. I will judge you. <laughs> Don't tell Claire. Anyone listening, don't tell Claire if you microwave water. Don't tell her. I can feel the rage. I know. It's it's boiling I inside. I, I have this hot knife 
inside of me yeah. and it's hot knife justice yes that will exact revenge on the hot water and the tea that you have murdered by using a microwave i feel like you could boil tea all on your own right now with your rage flames <laughs> oh it's good okay let's move on yep move on from the rage would you rather have a dream mitsubishi <laughs> or a dream camaro and i'm saying dream camaro because fuck mitsubishi <laughs> you hate it you hate it so much you hate it 82 times at least yeah i'm gonna pick the camaro too I, but but the pig, not a new Camaro. I'm gonna pick the classic, beautiful '73, just because it'll be pretty. And the Mitsubishi, I feel like, is just a trash car. And there's it's 82 of them. It's total. Yeah. Just line them up and just get some like Eddie the Eagle as a excessively British reference for you, stunt drive or somebody to whoosh, over it. Yeah, that's fine. And then blow them up with some pyrotechnics because fuck Mitsubishi. Blow them up with your dream fire dragon. That's yes. the only good reason to have a Mitsubishi. Yes. It must end in flames. Yes. Next question. <laughs> hey, more dream things. Ooh, it's like the theme of the entire book. That's I know. It's, the dream it's themes. very shocking. Would you rather fight... Ronan's dream creatures or Kavinsky's? Well, you see, the, the, the word you've used is fight. Yeah, you're fighting them. I think I'd rather fight, like, Kavinsky's? But be the mistress and leader of Ronan's dream creatures. <laughs> I want them for myself. To enact revenge against all those Mitsubishis? hot water microwavers and Mitsubishis. <laughs> <laughs> I have revenge to enact. I will. I will have Ronan's dream creatures to do that. But I'll and I'll fight Kavinsky's. Yeah, because I'll just need to go. Hey, oh, uh, hey, and then you oh. throw a Mitsubishi at it. Yes. <laughs> hey. I feel like I feel like I'm gonna choose Kavinsky's as well, mostly because it's um while it is a fire dragon, which is terrifying as fuck, I feel like it's kind of shrug. I mean, people have seen dragons before. You know, you know what a dragon looks yeah. like. Like this this isn't this isn't special. This is normal. This isn't a curly Q pen. It it's a it's a dragon. Everybody's seen dragons. It's nothing unique. Everybody's seen a dragon before. Yeah, Ugh. everybody knows. Everybody knows what a dragon is. But call me Khaleesi. Yeah, but Ronins are terrifying with beaks all over the place and too many wings and like weird hands and they're they're creepy. Yeah. So I feel like Ronins nightmare horrors 
would be a thousand times more terrifying than a fire dragon. And I don't want to fight. I don't want to deal with that. So I'll take the fire dragon. I'm I'm, going to rule the fire dragons. I will be there, Felicity. You're going to ride the fire dragon and explode Mitsubishis. Explode Mitsubishis. And also Kavinsky. And Kavinsky. Hey! Hey! Last question. Which is not a dream question. Oh, I'm so sad! But it's one of my favourite scenes in the book. And it takes place at 300 Fox Way. Of course it does. Would you rather have bacon or broccoli or butter? (laughs) It's when Callow will only eat anything with bacon in it. Yeah. Just picking at everything else that's got to have bacon. (laughs) And then Blue sitting there with a big pile of broccoli. I like that she, like, spite makes the broccoli. And Mara's (laughs) over there just putting butter on everything. She's using her hot knife to put butter on everything. <laughs> this is three of the major food groups as well. Yes. Bacon, broccoli, or butter. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to pick broccoli. Yeah. I like broccoli. I like broccoli a lot. And I mean, I love bacon, too. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Bacon is fantastic. But I don't know. I'm feeling broccoli right now. I'm in the mood for bacon. Yeah. Yeah. If you talk to me, if you talk to me two hours ago, it would have been broccoli. Yeah. But this moment, this exact moment of recording, it's bacon. It's bacon. Yeah. And like, as much as I like butter, which I love butter, I love putting butter in and on everything. I don't just want a butter, like a Mm. stick of butter and just. No. I don't want to just bite but into a stick You've got to scoop it with your double-edged spoon. <laughs> no, that is not and what I use my double-edged spoon for. You've got no. to be double-dipping it into your butter because you're a filthy, <laughs> no. filthy double-dipper. We've established this. You're a filthy, no. filthy double-dipper. Not with butter, though. Mm. It's batter. It's batter, not butter. <laughs> Still double-dipping. So uncool. I have the high ground on this and you know it. I don't really double dip. I mean, unless uh-huh, it, uh-huh. unless not if it's going to other people. If it's going in other people's mouths, no. But if I have my own like little cup of cheese dip or salsa or something, and I'm eating my own chips, then I will double dip into my own thing, but oh, not into yours. Double, no, no, no. The only time it's acceptable is if it's your own little pot of fill in the blank here. Yeah, I'm not gonna double dip into your food. That's gross. Thank you. This was what we were establishing. But you were talking about Constance in the capacity of being a baker and she is a mass production baker. Look, it's not She doesn't always mass bake. She can but bake for herself. She doesn't. She gets DoorDash. Well, We've established true. that just this well, that's week. True. I'm sorry. Yes, that's true. <sighs> for everyone listening. Constance, professional baker, does not double dip with her double-edged spoon. No. She is she a does, professional. She does double door dash when she wants a milkshake and cookies. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's the end. That's the end of Would You Rather. Let's move on. Goodness. All right. <laughs> Favorite final thought quote. Oh, there was loads. So many good ones. There was loads. Yes. There was loads. I've got at least four for you, at least. All right. Dying's boring side effect. Oh. 
I thought you said scrying was a bad idea. It's like vodka, Kala said. It really depends on who's doing it. <laughs> do you eat all of the men in the family? Where do they go? Does this house have a basement? <laughs> Shh, right, sure. Because no girls in politics. I have no interest. Voting? What? I forgot my apron. I think I ought to be in the kitchen right now, actually, with my rolling pin. <laughs> I totally felt that because I'm like, there were a couple of others, but I don't know if you'll pick them. I mean, I've got so many. (sighs) Most of them are. I'm going to give you one more because I did. I did love this one. It's good. I'm being perfectly fucking civil. (laughs) And honestly, Um, that felt like me. (laughs) Yes. I love that one. Um, I also love don't fucking swear. <laughs> I almost love, don't swear. Fuck off. Oh, <laughs> um, um, let's see. Mm, what else do I like? Oh, this one. Oh, oh, I love this one. She wore a dress Ronan thought looked like a lampshade. Whatever sort of lamp it belonged on, Gansey clearly wished he had one. Ronan wasn't a fan of lamps. <laughs> Ronan's not a fan of lamps, guys. Boys like him didn't die. They got bronzed and installed outside public libraries. Yes, I like that. <laughs> Dream me the world, something new for every night. <laughs> Be holy. <laughs> oh, Matthew. Oh, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Oh, I also like generalized sadness. <laughs> That's blue in a nutshell. <laughs> is blue in a nutshell. <sighs> Maybe we can hurl some stuff into the underbrush or hit something. That solves everything. Maybe we can be really manly and break things. <laughs> like, as much as you don't like blue, she has got some zingers. <laughs> okay, finally... This one's more serious. All of us have secrets in our lives. We're keepers or kept from, players or played. Secrets and cockroaches. That's what will be left at the end of it all. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. All right. If you liked this, try this. Um, oh, I haven't read this one yet, but I was looking for some... It's, 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 okay, it's, it's extremely tenuous, hashtag tenuous link TM. Okay, uh-huh. Extremely. Yes. But I was looking for some kind, I was in a witchy mood, and mm. I thought, ooh, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to have a look. And it also felt it had some tenuous links. Okay. So I'm just going to throw that out. But it's, it feels really good. It also feels like it would be very appropriate for PC cast books. Ooh, okay. And it's called Born Wicked by Jessica Spotswood, and it's her debut novel. Everybody thinks Kate Garhill and her sisters are eccentric. Too pretty, too reclusive, and far too educated for their own good. 
but the truth is even worse. They're witches. And if their secret is discovered by the priests of the Brotherhood, it would mean an asylum, a prison ship, or an early grave. Then Kate finds her mother's diary and uncovers a secret that could spell her family's destruction. Desperate to find alternatives to their fate, Kate starts scouring banned books and questioning rebellious new friends, all by juggling tea parties, shocking marriage proposals, and a forbidden romance with completely unsuitable Finn Belstra. But if what her mother's wrote is true, the Calhill girls aren't safe, not even from each other. Ooh. I thought it sounded quite fun. Yeah. And I was like, mm, secrets, magic, untapped abilities, yeah. family, what's yeah. going on here. Yeah. So it's, it's like extremely it. tenuous. Sure. Sure. But that's how we roll. It what is. have you got? Um, mine, I also haven't read, but I just, I went on a quest. I went on a dream quest, if you will, to find dream-related Is things. Is it Google? Yes. That's where I had my dream quest to. <laughs> now, actually, yes, actually, I, I did. I did Google. I Googled uh, books about dreams. YA, books about dreams. Shock. Shocking, everyone. And I chose this one. It's called Poet Anderson of Nightmares by Tom DeLonge and Suzanne Young. Jonas Anderson and his older brother, Alan, are lucid dreamers. But after a car accident lands Alan in a coma, Jonas sets out into the dream world in an attempt to find his brother and wake him up. What he discovers instead is an entire shared consciousness where fear comes to life as a snarling beast called a night terror. And then it comes out and it fights a fire dragon. Wait, that's not true. And (laughs) there's a creature named Rem who is bent on destruction and misery, devouring the souls of the strongest dreamers. With the help of a dreamwalker, a guardian of the dream space, Jonas must face his fears, save his brother, and become who he was always meant to be. I like dreamwalking. I like weird dream stuff. Yeah. I mean, everyone remembers how much I loved Adrian. From Vampire Academy, and he is a dreamwalker. So I'm just, I remember just reading a series that was on YN about dreamwalking, and I think it was probably just called Dreamwalker. I think it's so Long interesting. Dreams mm. are very, very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Do we have a spotlight? We do. And it's also very interesting that this exists in our emails that we get and some of these are from you know there are new books that are not out yet and some of these are from like just just emails that we get with lists of new books and unique books and whatever so this is one of those this one didn't come to us like from from a person this was from a list it's called light blade by zamil akhtar and this one was actually published already in text but we got this notification because it just came out in audio oh and you know how we feel about audiobooks so anyway one day josh will climb the heavens and slay a dragon god though nothing could seem less likely for a slave especially one whose body is too broken to cycle sunshine into destructive magical energy until he meets a woman who can secretly teach him the light blade an energy sword transmuted from sunlight 
capable of changing size, shape, and performing incredible magical feats, according to the wielder's skill level. Except she only exists in his dreams. Each hour of sleep equals a day in these shared lucid dreams, wherein he must master new light blade abilities, bond with his teacher and other allies, and gain the fortitude to overcome his weakness and crush his enemies. When Josh awakens to learn that a mysterious light blade master, who also commands an armada of skyships, is spreading destruction across the land, he'll face a trial by fire against forces far more frightening than he could ever dream. And forged from that fire, a light ascendant will rise. Ooh. Interesting. It sounds neat. I don't know, but I'm, I got this weird obsession with dreams after reading The Dream Thieves. <laughs> and then it makes me think of Strange the Dreamer by Lainey Taylor, which why didn't I recommend that one? Because it's all uh, dreams. <sighs> <laughs> it's fine you know why i didn't mention that one because of steve west and then i would be gone again i'm surprised you haven't gone already (sighs) there was an anniversary edition stream to dreamer released recently uk yeah there's some very beautiful covers of that book anyway (laughs) that's it that's it for this episode of fictional hangover i'm amanda and i'm claire I'm so excited! I can't wait! I cannot wait! Join us next time as we discuss Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. I'm so excited! I've never been so excited for one of the books. It's gonna be so good. It's gonna be so good. Vampire book club, vampire book club, vampire book book club. club. And something that's going to be very special, just an alert with our Twilight episode. Now, last year, if you will remember, when we had our Sookie Stackhouse books, we talked about how we shared the videos before the episode was released so those who were part of our Patreon could listen to the episode, watch the episode, and join in on Vampire Book Club. Well, this time, we're going to share those videos with everyone, whether you're a member of our Patreon or not, so you can join in with us on Vampire Book Club. And, you know, maybe you'll be enticed to to give us money. <laughs> join our Patreon. <laughs> it's a little tease. Hashtag always be plugging. Always be plugging, especially when Twilight is involved. Anyway... <laughs> Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book.
You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover. And on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no E-R. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for her music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>